Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Okay, Regeru, we ready to go? <clears throat> Me. Test the instrument. It's feeling good, sounding good. Levels are in a good spot. I say we're ready for liftoff. What do you think, Reg? Hmm? Good. All right. Let's do this thing. Uh, I'll give you the uh, three S's and the countdown. I'll give you the music. I'll give you podcast number 340. So put that in the book there. Number 340. Uh, yeah, I'm a little laid back, maybe. Just came back from Los Angeles, you know, man. I was just, you know. Doing the L.A. vibe. <laughs> I might use that. Okay, we ready? Here we go. Star, smile, strong. All right, ready? Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. Whoa, look out there, Reg. You didn't time it good that time. <laughs> we got to time it a little better. Ready? Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain... Whoa, now that... <laughs> you can't get a break on this. Okay, now it seems like it's right on tab, so wait until I finish. I'll give you the signal, okay? Three... <laughs> Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> somewhere in the middle all right let's go three two one hey it's elton jim toronto and this is captain podtastic and welcome to another episode of elton jim's captain podtastic Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. Oh, where else would you expect us to be? Don't forget, if you like what you hear, you can go to... No, stop, 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 stop. I'm, all, I'm mixed up. Okay, no, um... What I do this all by, you know, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. We got to get over it. I, I screwed that up. Ready? <laughs> Boy, this is turning out to be a good one, huh? Good thing no one ever hears this, right? Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And of course, don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. But most importantly, you got to hit the streets. Hit the road. Well, don't hit the road. Hit the streets. <laughs> don't hit the road. Hit the streets, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast of your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. 
And it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion, especially right around now at the holidays, uh, you never know what may be at your doorstep. If you like what you hear, don't forget to go to WGNRadio.com, hit the prompt for podcasts, then you hit the prompt for this podcast, and my gosh, talk about a holiday gift. It's like a jack-in-the-box, it's a cornucopia, it's a, it's, the podcast will become flying out at you. So many of them just keep scrolling down and keep hitting them and playing them, hitting them and playing them, until there aren't any more. I always say it's good to go and listen to the old ones, listen to what where we've been so you know where we're going. I think at last count, I've done 339 podcasts since we started in May of 2016, which makes this episode 340. Welcome. So, last podcast, episode 339. Uh, I give you a little history of uh, a historic and historic. That's the key. It's not a historic. It, you know, once again, you know, I'm, I'm a stickler for grammar, even though it was pointed out to me. I have no problem from this by Jim, the podcast listener. Uh, you know, I don't like verbal acne. I, I try my best uh, to to speak grammatically correct. And, and don't fall uh, prey to different kinds of phrases that we use as, as space fillers while we're trying to think. Uh, I do know that on occasion, I even hear myself say it, uh, the word amazing. And so podcast listener Jim, in a very kind way, and I have no problems with this, and that's why I'm bringing it up now. He said, uh, I, I've been listening to podcasts for years. I enjoy it, blah, blah, blah. He said, but wow, you, you in this last podcast, you said amazing so many times. Maybe because I thought whatever I was talking about was amazing. But, uh, I, I, you know, but I don't like that. I, I don't like to fall on, on phrases or words that are, are constantly uh, repeated. If you, if you listen to people today on radio and on, especially on television, you will hear these because really, sadly, the, the professionalism of broadcasting, the grammatically correct kind of speaking, uh, correct grammar, uh, you know, just and, and, and not and, and, and not repeating things or not falling on these this verbal acne, as, as, as some people call it, that um, that we use well, that we all use when we talk. Because we don't like to have silence, right? So we we add a phrase in there while we're thinking of what's next. But I, I always believe that silence is better. I'd rather pause and think about what I'm saying rather than use some cliched line over and over. You hear, of course, the likes. And now, I mean, everybody says super as an, as an adjective. Drives me up the wall. I, I spent a whole podcast on that. But, you know, everybody puts likes, you know, and I just said that. Uh, today, in today's world, the word right, like someone will make a statement and they go, right? Almost like they're looking for both validation. I don't know what that one is for. I don't like that one either. I don't like any of them. But at the same time, uh, you know, I try my best to make this podcast as conversational as possible. And so when I get on a roll, I... I, I I may 
not be as attentive as I try to be at all times in, in speaking clearly and, and, uh, and directly and grammatically correct. And so, yes, I will fall into some of those, those, those verbal crutches, if you will. So I don't, uh, and I don't like doing it. And I'm glad that, that listener Jim sent me a, a, a message and, and, and said that because I am going to make sure that I, that I don't fall into those traps. And I will try, and especially I will try not to say amazing this whole podcast. How's that? Now, that's going to be a tough one for me because uh, today's episode, I'm going to be talking about attending the final Elton John concert at Dodger Stadium, which was also his final U.S. tour show of this farewell tour. So the word amazing would certainly be appropriate to describe this show and many aspects of the show, but I'm going to try to find other words. So that's for you, listener Jim. If I have to throw in a few amazings, I apologize, but uh, the show truly was, uh, uh, no, magical. How's that? (laughs) There you go. So last podcast, I I gave uh, uh, a, a little brief history of why these shows that were being performed in Los Angeles uh, on the 17th and 19th and 20th of November were so historic. and But another little grammatical thing. So when you, when, you, when you hear or when you write or when you hear somebody talk, you use the word an when there is a vowel in the next word. Like there's an insect or an apple. But if there's a consonant, you just use the a, the a, a cat, a dog. You don't say an cat or an, though there's an cat. Now, there might be somebody you know whose name is an cat. (laughs) But no, you say a cat or a cat. And you say an insect. So the an comes before the, the next word uh, if it begins with a vowel. And the a uh is used before the word that begins with a consonant. Now the word historic, you say, well, Jim, that starts with an H, an H sound. Ha! Huh. Right? But the I... The I is accented, historic. The I really pops out. So in that case, there certainly, while H is a consonant, so you should say, according to the rule you just told us, Jim, that should be a historic. But it is not because the I sound is accented so strong in historic, the word historic that you use an an if you are writing or if you are speaking. So when you say that these were such, this was an, so you would say, this is an historic moment, not this is a historic moment or a historic moment. It is an historic moment. And so my last podcast, 339, was talking why these shows on November 17th, 19th, and 20 were so historic 
not only for Elton John's career, certainly, but also in the grand scheme of rock music. And just as a quick uh, kind of refresher, in case you, you didn't hear the last podcast, Elton John played Dodger Stadium in 1975, two shows, sold out, 55,000 people each, 110,000 people on October 25th and 26th. And they were historic <laughs> because before that time, nobody had played Dodger Stadium and and rarely a, an outdoor stadium that big with that much, much seating since the Beatles, certainly in Dodger Stadium. Nobody played Dodger Stadium since the Beatles in 1966 when their final tour. And Elton John was so big in 1975 that at that time he was pretty much the only artist who could fill that stadium. And not only did he fill it once, he filled it twice. 110,000 people over two days. Now we see uh, stadium shows, and you know, especially for the baby boomer rock stars who, who have built a 50-year uh, career and fan base, loyal fan base, and they can, you know, Billy Joel's and Rolling Stones and, uh, and, and bands like that. A lot of now, a lot of the younger bands they can't fill those on their own, but they'll have several bands on the same bill in order to fill that, and that happened too. After after Elton did it on himself, the rest of the seventies, there were then ballparks. Suddenly, the promoters said, "Wait a minute, we've got ballparks here that we can fill," but nobody could. There wasn't still anybody that could could they could count on selling out the place. So what they would do is have these these festival before it was called the festival. So I remember at, at Sox Park here in Chicago, there was uh, you know Chicago and the Beach Boys. I remember Sting, and there was like these big rock shows with several big name rock stars like uh, the Police, and 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 I remember Peter Frampton and things like that. Um, so they would they would have multiple bands in order to fill those up. But Elton at that time. He filled up Dodger Stadium on his own. So that was a historic, that was an historic, <laughs> that was an historic moment. Um, and it really did pave the way for stadium shows and rock and roll that we see today. We see the festivals and, and those huge 100,000 people in some of these uh, big arenas and, and some of these big open spaces especially uh in 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 europe they have these huge the, the glastonbury festival with hundreds of thousand people right here in chicago hundred thousand people go to see Lollapalooza uh a day they're not at one stage though there's various stages so the enormity of elton john's popularity was huge which i guess is redundant but uh his popularity was was unprecedented let's say that in 1975 and he could fill a stadium up and he filled it up twice in fact and so to end this tour initially it was supposed to end before covid hit the entire tour is supposed to end in 2021 at dodger stadium fittingly to pay homage and tribute to those two historic shows covid has now disrupted that and sort of taken a little of the air out of it they are the fine. Those these shows were the final U.S. shows of this tour, and uh, but he will be playing into next year 
in Australia, New Zealand, and throughout Europe. And his final show will be in uh, Stockholm, Sweden in July. So I was talking in the last podcast about what I was um, expecting and anticipating and and looking forward to and and getting all nervous and would I get sentimental and would I get teary-eyed. Up to that point, I had been to 208 Elton John shows and... um, you know, you know, he's 75 years old, and he's, he said he's retiring from, from major touring. He may play a one-off show every so often. He may do a residency for a week or so at a certain thing, but he's not going to be touring around the world or around from the United States from city to city anymore. So it won't be as prevalent to see him anymore or as easy and, and, and as often as I have been seeing him, uh, certainly for the last 25 years or so or he's toured about 100 shows a year. But uh, I, I, before the show, uh, before these shows, I've been waiting for these shows. I had the tickets in hand for more than a year and a half. And I was wondering how I would react to all of this. And so I thought as a, a nice kind of sequel to last week's podcast, I set the stage for you. So now let's deliver the goods and let you know how it was. And I suppose that this will sort of, in addition to that, I mean, obviously, the concerts were the driving force. They were the impetus for uh, for my wife and me to go to Los Angeles. But we were also there for about six days, and there was only three shows, so we did other things. So I guess this is going to be my audio or my verbal version of my uh, vacation films, Films from my vacation. Now, you know that's that's a, that's probably even an, uh, an antiquated term for for younger people. You might not even you don't even understand you don't understand this. But for those of us who have been around for a while, you remember in the '60s and especially in the '70s. Um, you know, we didn't have video cameras. We've had now video cameras. You know, camcorders, and now everybody's you know, a videographer on their phone, right? I mean, people are making feature films on their phone. Everybody's a photographer. And everybody is very comfortable in front of a camera today. But those of us who have been around for a while will remember, especially in the 60s and the 70s, first of all, few people had movie cameras. They were, And if they did... Uh, they were eight millimeter or sixteen millimeter, and the quality was not very good. We've had camcorders now and video recorders for the home, probably in the, in the early eighties. I know certainly. I know a friend of mine who had it was giant. It wasn't like a camcorder that you know they were, became so small in the uh, in the late eighties and nineties. It was this huge thing that you had to you know you almost looked like a, a TV, uh, you know, <laughs> cameraman. It was still huge, but you could record on a VHS tape. And play it, and you know, play it in your machine. Those have been around easily now, where people have been buying them for forty years, and they gave birth, as I said, to the camcorder and the smaller handheld video cameras and the digital cameras, and now obviously the phones. I mean, you go to a concert, and everybody's phone is up and they're recording. So people are much more savvy in terms of they know how to shoot, they know how to frame things. Um, and now there's special effects on on cameras as well. So a homemade a homemade digital 
film, if you will, of any event, whether it's on a vacation or a concert or walking down the street. I mean, that's basically what what social media is today, right? I mean, that's TikTok and Instagram and everything else. It all started with reality television where you know people were suddenly the stars and uh, in the last 20 years uh the average person has become a star whether it has become of you know a, a certain amount of celebrity or just on your TikTok channel people have YouTube channels and TikTok channels everybody is out there on video somewhere today but that is not the way i know for younger people you you probably can't even imagine that because younger people especially people now in their even in their 40s and certainly in their 20s and teens uh, with the video camera being around for 40 years the people in their 40s they were videotaped their parents bought those video cameras and they videotaped everything about them and so 40 and 50 year olds have will grow up grew up on a camcorder everything all their baseball games are their all their cheerleading things all their uh, whatever whatever they were into all, all their vacations their events if they were in school musicals they're singing they're they're in band whatever they were in the parents were documenting on video kids grew up now they grow up now being used to being photographed certainly photographed and also recorded and uh, but that is not always the way it was and so the, the, the old joke used to be, oh, my gosh, they're going to show us their films from their vacation. Oh, God, because the quality of the film was terrible on this 8-millimeter or 60-millimeter. You could even hear it go. There's a movie right now coming out pretty soon uh, in a couple of weeks that is getting rave reviews about uh, it's called The Fablemans. And basically it's. It's it's Steven Spielberg's life story of how he started to make movies, and you will see in that movie, and it's going to probably get nominated for many Academy Awards, if not even win many. Uh, that here, as a young man, as a young kid in this in the fifties and sixties, he 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 had one of these small cameras and was making movies in his base, you know, in his yard and stuff. But it was very rudimentary as as, as opposed to today, and so most people's fathers were were the guys handling it they wanted the new gadget so they bought it but they really didn't know much about photography they didn't know about uh you know how to frame things or how to how to move so the camera was very jerky and it and it moved quickly and up and down and uh, they forgot they had it in their hand and you know they were away from the microphone so the production values of these home videos or these home films of of anything especially vacations were mostly uh, pretty dreadful. The, the, as I said, the, the, the quality of the film wasn't good. The quality of the photographer or the film, whoever was filming it, wasn't good. And most importantly, like I said, in today's world, everybody knows how to pose. Everybody you know, is, is, everybody is camera ready today. But 50 years ago, 55, 60 years ago, people were not camera ready. There were people, and I've said this many times about how we are so narcissistic today, but there was a time when modesty was, was actually the norm. And people were embarrassed to show off. And people were embarrassed to be in front of a camera, whether it was to take a picture or certainly in a moving picture. They were, they were okay to, to pose for a still photo, but a moving picture, uh, people, they, they didn't know what to do in front of a camera. 
As I said before, today's generations, Gen X and, uh, and younger now, they grew up on cameras. But most people did not. And so you saw not only a bad, you're, the, the pop father was, a, was, was bad at framing and filming, but mom and the family, they didn't know what to do either. Uh, most people were embarrassed. They were, they were hiding their faces. They were, oh, stop it, stop it. And the, or, the, or the dad was, direct, well, move around, hug him over there. Wait, everybody, most of these vacation films were just people nervously smiling and waving. And maybe pointing or doing something if they, you know, so these, these, uh, films, these vacation films, it was like, oh my God, you didn't want to see that. Well, now, of course, you say, yeah, show me what you just filmed. Everybody, show me. It's on the, it, the whole world can see it. What a difference. But so we don't have the, I don't have, uh, this is not video and I don't have a, I should just run this. I should just run that, that sound effect behind me for the next hour. That wouldn't be too. Uh, aggravating wouldn't it just to hear me talk about my uh <laughs> to talk about my my trip to los angeles and, and attending these elton john concerts and all the while i could pretend it's like a movie with um with this sound behind me of a uh of a of a camera oh wow that wouldn't that wouldn't be too um aggravating wouldn't i don't know though if you hear it you know <laughs> <laughs> I might get a little adventurous now, actually. I mean, it's not a bad idea. I wish I would have thought it before the show started. But you could see, this is the, that's the great thing about this podcast, folks. You know, uh, it's being created as we speak. I don't know if I can do it. But anyway, Reggie, can you find a, a sound effect of a 16-millimeter camera? You think you can do that? See if you can. But anyway, uh, I'll just keep telling the story. And if he finds it, then we'll just throw it in. And then you'll, you, when you hear this aggravating, you'll know what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a, such a different time. Uh, but today, everybody's on camera. So this is my version of uh of a you know of a of a film let's see can you find it did you find it yet no okay no problem keep looking it can't be that hard i would think especially on youtube no let's see oh you found it what does it sound like? Kick off the holidays Whoa, what's at that? Guitar Center. Okay, wait. Make wigs at Martin X Style Coa Models. You got, a, to 100. you got an ad in there. Uh, let's see. There it is. Yeah, that's it. That's the sound. <laughs> so let me pretend here. Uh, okay. So, um, okay. So here, my wife and I are now, uh, we are driving to O'Hare. Wave. Wave, Elton, Jamie. There you go. Okay, now we're driving to O'Hare. And, oh. Oh, I'm, I'm now, see, I'm changing lanes. Yeah, uh-huh. And, uh, okay. And now I'm going into the parking lot. Oh, dear. Can't find a spot. Oh, my gosh. 
All right. Well, wave again, Elton Jamie. Just wave until I find a spot. <laughs> That's the way films used to sound and look <laughs> from vacations. <laughs> I can't even take that for 10 minutes. So today's a different world. But anyway, uh, long story short, here's my verbal vacation film for you. Because we did actually have a really good time. In addition to seeing the concerts, I, 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 I love Los Angeles. When we left, got to give you some background here. So if you remember in the Chicago area on uh, November 15th, it was a Tuesday. It was the first day of measurable snow that we had since, you know, the beginning of like the, the ending of, uh, of winter and early spring. And, um, but it wasn't a lot. We didn't, we didn't get, we didn't get Buffalo kind of snow that they got hit with a couple of weeks ago. My gosh, six, five, six, seven feet, but it was messy enough. But when we were going, especially early in the morning, it was kind of that sleety, wet rain slash snow. Cause it was like 35 degrees. So it wasn't exactly freezing, but it was getting there. And so the, the grass was filled with snow. But the roads were just wet and a little slick. But it, it, it was enough just to cause, a, not chaos at O'Hare Field, at our airport here in Chicago. It wasn't mayhem. It wasn't chaos. But it was enough to, to just muck things up a little and delay things. Our flight was delayed a half hour, which isn't bad, really. Uh, but we did have to get our plane de-iced before we took off uh, because of the fear of that. But uh, so it was, it was, it was, you know, it, in the day before and a couple days before it was like 70 and 50. So it was a night, it was nice. And then all of a sudden, of course, the day we leave, it's cold and it's snowy and rainy, but it actually was a good, so even though we were delayed, thankfully just a half hour, because it was a great day to leave Chicago that whole week that we were gone, it was in the, the thirties and even lower at night. And when we came back, it got warm again in the forties and fifties again. So we dodged a bullet, but I, what I, you know, we did have to get our plane de-iced. But I would say from when we got to the airport and we say when we checked, or let's say when we got on the plane, we took off uh, in Chicago around 1030. We were supposed to take off about 5 to 10. We took off about 1030, and it was, as I said, rainy and, and, and a little snowy. And um, I, so that's a two-hour difference, so... It's about a four-hour flight. We we landed. Uh, you know, we were about a half hour later than we were supposed to. We had a rent a car. We drove to Santa Monica. That's where we stayed, even though we were going to the show in, in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium. But we stayed just outside of Los Angeles in Santa Santa Monica because I love I love the ocean and I love the beach. And so whenever I do go to uh, L.A. It's it's not it's only about a 20 25 minute ride to get into downtown LA anyway from Santa Monica but it's so much oh I just I just love I just love the water and the beach and the the famous Santa Monica pier that you see on TV so much with the big with the big Ferris wheel and the, and the roller coaster and so I would say from when we we took off when we lifted off at like 10:30 it was probably, let's say, five and a half, six hours at the outside. Six hours later, let's just this just to be to be safe. Six hours after we took off, 
I was walking on the beach with my shorts on. We left Chicago. It was cold and rainy and, and, and kind of flurry snow. And I, we sit on this plane and magically we are taken to a spot where they don't even know what snow is. We were there for, I mean, we spent five days, you know, you, you leave on the last day. Every day was 71 to 75 degrees. Every evening was 60 degrees. There were very few clouds in the sky any of those days. Huge sun. Oh, it was it was so nice to get away. I mean, you know, we're going to get ready for another winter here, so it was nice to get this nice little last moment to remember what it's like. And there's just something about a California sun and a California breeze. And it feels certainly better when you're leaving a Chicago wind chill and snow, that's for sure. But, uh, wow, I, I love walking on the beach. I know it sounds cliched, and I know it sounds like it's something that you would put on your computer dating bio, or, or now in today's world, your app, your Match.com app, your dating site app, Walks on the Beach. But I do love Walks on the Beach. Every day I got up uh, at the crack of dawn, the sun rose about 6.35 there every morning, and I got out there right at sunrise and just uh, took off my sandals and walked the beach for about an hour and a half every day and just loved it. It's, I, it's so peaceful. I have the, I had my, my, of course, my Elton Jim's jam-packed iPod, which I still use, so I have my iPod jammed with my 24,000 songs on it. And for several years now, I, I created a playlist that is just like music about uh, sun-related or California-related or beach-related. And I don't even know how many songs there are. There's hours of songs. And I just uh, I go out on the beach, take off my shoes, barefoot, put the Walkman on. Not too loud, though, because I want to hear... The constant crashing of the waves as a nice backdrop. So I've got the music in my ears, but not too loud so I can still hear that beautiful rhythmic of the waves of the Pacific Ocean and just walking in the sand and looking at the looking out at the horizon and there's all different uh, birds flying around and the sun is rising up. You can see it uh, making shadows of the palm trees in front of it. Oh, it's I, I, I love it. I just I just walk the beach on myself. I, I, and I actually started this many years ago when we've traveled as as kind of a a mini tribute and memory to my father when I when I was a young kid when I was about nine years old we went with my family, my extended family, um, to Hawaii. Um, and my dad was a swimmer. He loved to swim. He was the captain of his swim team in high school. And uh, so he would get up, and I didn't, I mean, I'm a little kid. I don't really know about this. I didn't know. I mean, I knew he's a swimmer. He taught me to swim, obviously. But um, when we got to Hawaii, I never, you know, we, we never really went to the beach like as a family, you know, like that. 
But when we would go to anywhere where there was a beach, you know, especially close to our hotel, if we were staying on a beach, he would get up and uh, and he would get up at the crack of dawn and walk the beach and 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 swim in the in the ocean. And so we were in Hawaii. That was the first time I ever really experienced that. And so then I started getting up with him and going with him and uh, and swimming in the beach and swimming in the ocean with him and or just just kind of walking with him and you know picking up shells and and uh you know it was really i look back at uh, on it now and it was it was really a, a special kind of bonding moment between uh uh my dad and me i i mean it was too young to really appreciate it but i look at it i look at, back at it now and i go that was cool that was and I, 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 I hope it meant something to him. I, I was, I just, I was just getting up and walking on a beach with my dad. I don't know if I hope he had some, some feeling about this. Like, well, this is kind of neat. And I do remember following behind him. I'd be walking with him or next to him and holding his hand at times because the water, you know, might knock you over. But I do remember walking on the beach and and seeing his footsteps. And kind of trying to put my feet in his footsteps, or in that that whole idea of seeing someone's footsteps in sand for a little nine year old kid is kind of a cool thing too. And uh, so even now, when I, so when I get up and I go, I do that for myself because I love the tranquility of it and the serenity of it and the sounds and the and the sunrise and and it's quiet before the the chaos of the day starts. So I really I don't meditate, but this is my form of meditation, I guess. To some extent, but it's also uh, a a tribute, subliminally at the very least, uh, to my dad and and his memory. And every so often, I will stop in my tracks and I will turn around and look at my footsteps in the sand, and I will think of us walking together and seeing his footsteps in the sand. So I I, I love doing that. So even though we were staying in Los, uh, we were we were going to a lot of events and, and locations in LA, I still, I love to go to Santa Monica beach and stay there too. If you've never been there, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. So we started our trip in Santa Monica and, uh, you know, the first night we, um, we went to this great little, it's, it's very well known. It's called Shea J C H E Z. J A Y Shea J. If you go online, you'll see it. It's 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 been around since the forties. It's this small little shack of a dive bar right on right across the beach on Ocean Boulevard in Santa Monica, and it's known for it being kind of a dive bar. It's and it's because it's so old school and just it's not pretentious at all, and so that's what makes it cool and hip. Because it's not trying to be cool and hip. That's that's the way I always judge something if something's cool. When you're trying not to be cool, that's when you're the coolest. And Shay J does not try to be cool. And that's why it is so cool. And celebrities go there just for that reason. And I have to tell you, not only can you get a great drink there, the food is fantastic. So much so that we went there twice while we were there. And you got to get the sticky pudding. Oh, the maple sticky pudding uh, with ice cream. Oh, <laughs> it was unbelievable. So, uh, so that was fun to be 
waking up in the morning in the cold snow, and six or seven hours later, we are in Santa Monica, we're walking the beach, then later in the evening, we go to this great little cool hip dive bar and have a nice meal and a delicious dessert, and then we walk right back to our hotel across the street and and call it a night, and uh, wow, what a day, what a difference, but so we were off to a good start. And um, if you've listened to me on the radio, you'll know that I have, on, on several occasions, has spoken to the actor Joe Montagna, who's from Chicago, big, uh, big Cub fan. Uh, most recently, his, his biggest roles have been on television, uh, on the C- TV show Criminal Minds, and it's actually starting again. It just started on Thanksgiving uh, on the Paramount Plus uh, streaming service. The show ended after a 15-year run, or at least he was on it for 15 years, and it's, it's so popular in syndication and in reruns on so many of the different cable networks and streaming services that they, they put a reboot, and now new episodes are currently on that will go be going in into, in, into uh, February. And, um, and I got a chance to meet him one time a few years ago when I did a play, and I did the same role that he did, and he was nice enough to... Um, to meet with my wife and I, and we had lunch with him, and we talked about the play and and acting, and we got along well, and we've kept in touch with email and phone calls. And uh, it's been, you know, with COVID and everything, it's been a f- about three or four years. But he was so nice, and uh, so we hooked up again with him again at his office in uh, in Burbank, and we spent a couple hours with him. He was doing some uh, interviews and some press for Criminal Minds to promote it. Because as I said, it's uh, it's now on Paramount Plus streaming. But in between that, uh, he he carved. He was very generous, and he carved a couple of hours open for us. And so my wife and uh, and I uh, met him at his office, and we had a a fun chat talking about um, you know acting and 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 Hollywood. And he's had quite a career. I mean, he's been in some amazing, oh, there's that word. I said it once. (laughs) Sorry. He's had an accomplished career. How's that, podcaster Jim out there? He's had an accomplished career and and, an enviable career. He's worked with some of the, uh, the most respected filmmakers in Hollywood history. He was in Godfather 3 as Joey Zaza, so he worked with Francis Ford Coppola. He was in the film Alice written and directed by Woody Allen. Uh, he got his start and has worked in both plays and films written and directed by the great playwright um, David Mamet. Uh, he has worked with so many stars and, uh, and major, major stars. Most people might know him uh, doing the voice for Fat Tony on The Simpsons. That's Joe Montana. Um his his career he, he's, he was on Broadway with Madonna in the David Mamet play. If you go on Wikipedia and look him up, his screen and 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 theater credits and TV TV film and theater credits are mind blowing. He's had quite a, a quite an there's that an again quite an impressive career and it, to boot he's. So nice. He's from uh, the, the suburbs of Chicago and uh, 
just down to earth. Couldn't be nicer. The bigger they are, the nicer they are. And so we spent an afternoon with Joe Montagna one of the days before we went to um, to the Elton shows. So that was fun. And after our little visit with Joe Montagna, we went to dinner uh, at uh, a in a restaurant called. Uh, Musso and Frank's, which is this old school. I always, I just love old school stuff. This old school Hollywood uh, restaurant. And his star is actually, he has a star in the Walk of Fame right across the street from that place. And then the next day, we went for lunch at a place called the Apple Pan, which is another well-known L.A restaurant it's a diner really they've got delicious juicy cheeseburgers that's what they're known for but obviously it's called the apple pan because of their apple pie and my gosh do i love an apple pie i love pumpkin pie and i've talked about that recently on a podcast but if i had to have what's my favorite pie I would have to say it's just good old apple, but it's got to be a really good apple pie. And that's what the apple pan has. If you ever go to L.A., you got to go to the apple pan. You got to get the cheeseburger with the fries, and then you have to get the dessert, and you've got to get a piece of pie. My wife had a piece of banana cream pie, which was delicious as well. But I went for the staple, the, the name. I went for the namesake. The apple pie a la mode. Oh, my gosh. Delish. It's on Pico Boulevard in downtown-ish L.A. Not downtown, downtown, but uh, sort of in the middle between Santa Monica and downtown. But uh, Pico is a major, major street. It runs all the way from the, the ocean where Santa Monica is right into downtown LA. So if you ever go to a downtown LA, if you want to do the hassle of all the highways, just go on Pico, just straight straight down Pico and you will be downtown and you will pass the apple pan and you will go to the apple pan. Please go to the apple pan. If you go to LA, you got to go to pinks for the great chili cheese dog. I didn't go this time because we were just so busy, but I did go to apple pan. So you, you should hit both. But if you only hit one, ah, as good as Pink's is, I would say go to Apple Pan because you got to get that apple pie. Um, and then, of course, um, Elton being in Los Angeles, they did a lot of promotion for these shows. There was a lot of, there were banners all around the city with, you know, hyping the shows, you know, with pictures of him from the from the, the, the 1975 shows with his sequined Dodgers baseball uniform that became uh, an iconic uh, costume of his from his early career that was uh, designed by Bob Mackey. Those, that was all over on Sunset Boulevard and other places. And uh, uh, his, his husband, who was his manager, did an excellent job of, of, of putting up different pop-up stores with different merchandise and doing connections with other stores all around the country i mean all around the city and restaurants with elton themed uh products uh like a happy meal type of thing at, at, at a vegan restaurant and different kind of tour merchandise 
at different pop-up stores around. There's one at the Grove, which is an outdoor uh, shopping center. And um, so we went there, of course, had to make a few of those pilgrimages, pilgrimages when we were there. I've been to Elton Star before. I've seen it. It's right by the, the Chinese theater, the famous Chinese theater. And also the, uh, the, the, the club that he played when he came to America in 1970, which really changed his life and his career. The Troubadours Club is still there. I've been there before, so we didn't go there because we were very busy going other places. But, um, but yes, on Thursday um, for dinner, then we went to another famous L.A. legendary restaurant called Cantor's Deli. I love a good uh, pastrami sandwich. I love a good pastrami sandwich. And uh, my favorite pastrami sandwich was in New York at Carnegie Deli, which sadly closed a few years ago. Went there to New York a month before they closed. The line was out. It was down three blocks. It was it, that was an historic place. I even had my picture in on the walls of the Carnegie Deli because I, I used to go there so often. So I've been searching for a replacement deli. And I've never been to Cantor's, so we went to Cantor's Deli, and I had the pastrami, and it was good. I have to say, it wasn't Carnegie Deli good, though. It was good. I enjoyed it. But I love my Carnegie Deli. I miss it so much. And then we went to show one of the first three shows, and Elton and his band uh, really were right on. They were right on. Everybody, for all three shows... They brought on their A game. Now, the first show, in terms of, you know, Jim, are you going to get emotional? How's it going to feel? These are the last Elton John concerts that you may see. I don't know if that's the, the case, but it could be. I mean, right, he's he's finishing touring. He's saying he's, he's, he's he may do some things, but, you know, he's going to be 76 at the time. You never know about health. I mean, you know, it could be. So we certainly, all of us, all us Elton John fans and everybody who's an Elton John fan worth their salt was there. Uh, you know, you had to, in the back of your mind at least, you had to think that this could be the last time you saw him, even though I don't think it will be. The possibility is there, right? Every every show you go to, but these were a finality. At least, you know, it's, he's not, you know, not going to be playing on tour anymore. It might be a little more difficult to see him if he does go. And tickets may be harder to come by. But the first show of the three, you say, well, there's two more. So whatever emotion might have been drummed up by these final shows, the first one is kind of like, okay, let's, we went to all three, obviously. Uh, So, okay, let's get, it was more of a mood setter than it was a, uh, a sad or bittersweet kind of thing. It was kind of the first of the first of the, of the last three. So it, it got, it got the engine started, you know. And they were they the band played great. Elton sounded great. I was very disappointed in the crowd. Now you know, L.A. crowds are notorious for for coming late and leaving early. You know, it's a laid back vibe in L.A. And you know what's funny? You do you do if you're there long enough. I was there like almost a week, five and a half days or so. You it it does it does. Um, it does penetrate you after a while. You know, here in Chicago, and I'm I'm kind of manic anyway. I'm always moving around. But 
after a couple of days, you you look around and everybody's just taking it easy. And I think there's something to be said, especially when you're when you're close to that ocean, like we were. You hear that rhythmic flow of the tide in and out and it does kind of calm you like you know you have that you have that those 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 machines those those wave machines that make you go to sleep well they live they they have a they have a living wave machine it's called the pacific ocean so people in la in, in, in that in that whole california area they hear that if you're by the you know 24 hours a day if you want to never stops it hasn't stopped for millions of years and being so close to that, I, it was penetrating me. And I was kind of getting laid back, man, you know, and feeling the L.A. vibe. So uh, the L.A. crowds are notorious. And L.A. people, I mean, let's face it, it's, it's an industry town. It's a showbiz town. It really is. If you think we're in a look-at-me society in general because of the Internet and social media, LA's been a look at me, pay attention to me, narcissistic city for over a hundred years, ever since filmmaking went there and television production went there. That's where everybody goes, right? To be discovered. So LA people, there's always someone, wherever you're at, there's always somewhere else that's better to go. So yeah, they, they want to be at every event. They, they can't stay, they can't be at one thing. They've got to be at every cool thing every day. That's, that's the, that's the perspective of the, that LA culture. So they come late and they leave early because there's always somewhere else to go. And even though there's a lot of Elton fans, this show, the first show was an added show. Initially, there was just two shows that were, the tickets went on sale for, for a year and a half ago the 19th and 20th. And then about three or four months ago, they added this, this, this added show on the 17th. So I have a sense that the people that the real diehard fans had those tickets for a year and a half. Those are the ones who wanted to be there for the, the historic shows at Dodger stadium. And then they added this third show, but which was before those two. And I think a lot more casual fans are just like, Oh, this is kind of neat to go to. The band put on a, an, an excellent show, but I wasn't feeling it from the crowd. Elton was was having to egg them on, and, and you could see he was really working hard to get them behind. I never really felt like the crowd was was totally into it. There were people dressed up, but not as many as I thought there would be for that first show. But a lot of people they were dancing in the aisles, but they weren't paying attention to the screen or or the stage. They were they were they were looking at each other and dancing. Once again, look at me. They were, they, were, they were performing for the people around them in their section. They weren't really paying attention to, to, to Elton and the concert. So that was a little discouraging. But in terms of the show that Elton put on, it was fantastic as usual. And I have to tell you, uh, you know, between the, the jet lag and everything else, I was glad there was a day off between the, 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 before the final two shows. Because that Friday... Uh, I was, I was, I was getting kind of tired, <laughs> but an interesting thing happened then, and I'm glad I had that day off for the final show on Sunday. We had purchased something called the VIP experience, which was, it's a very neat, uh, thing that they do. 
they let you go up onto the stage and and they give you a brief tour of the stage and then they let you take a picture at Elton's actual piano, the piano he'll be playing that night. So we were on the stage at Dodger Stadium. Now, the place wasn't full yet, but still, we got a a, 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 a bird's-eye view of what Elton would be seeing, only there would be 55,000 people there. But we got a, a, a chance to, to experience the enormity of that and just look out into that bowl of the of the stadium and then take a couple of pictures at the piano. And they have a nice little VIP section that you can go to, and they had some hors d'oeuvres, and then they had people that the that were involved with the tour itself, all the riggers and, and the and the uh, the crew that put the, the show together and explaining how they put this enormous stage and this enormous show together. So it was very interesting from that standpoint. But obviously the lure is you get to go on the stage, the actual stage, and sit on the actual bench that Elton's going to be sitting on. Now you can't touch the keys because he's going to be playing that piano. You can when you take your picture, you can you can have your hands hovering above the keys, but you can't play it you can't touch them but you're still there and and it's it's quite an experience and especially to be on that stage at dodger stadium with this historic aspect of these shows on the final show uh was something that i i just couldn't pass up well an added amenity of this was that there was this vip section and um in the vip section where you could sit they had these folding chairs that were specially made that had Elton's face on the back side of the folding chair, and then the part you sit on said you had the logo of the of the farewell tour. Not only were they very comfortable and you could sit in those seats, but as an added bonus, you could take those chairs home. Nice little memento from a concert, right? More than just a ticket stub or a T-shirt. You get the chair you sat in, this specially made Elton chair. Someone with a collection like me, my gosh, how do I not have an Elton chair? But this posed a little problem because it's not like I could just put it in my trunk and drive it home. I was 18, well, no, what, 2,000? How many? I don't even know how many miles away. The the country is 3,000 miles. It's probably 1,800 miles away. How am I going to get this thing home? So on Friday, you know, in between going to Cantor's Deli and all these other places and trying to see some sights, my wife and I had to devise a plot as how are we going to get, how are we going to ship these chairs home? How do we get these chairs home? I mean, we had to rent a car. So fine, we could put them in the car to get them out, but how are we going to get them back? And so it became a a mission, a project. So in between seeing so many sites, cool sites in L.A., I also know and can tell you in Santa Monica where the best FedEx stores, where the best UPS stores, and where a very good box store is that sells boxes and tape and bubble wrap. At first, I was looking into shipping at FedEx and then UPS. 
And then we couldn't figure out what, you know, we had to, we, I didn't have, I wasn't going to get the chairs. The problem was I wasn't going to get the chair till Sunday night after the concert, the final concert. And then we were leaving early Monday morning. So I, you know, this all had to happen. And, you know, we were leaving it, it early. Nothing would be open. So we had to take care of all this stuff beforehand. We couldn't just wait until Monday. We were we, we nothing would be open. We were going to be on a plane by eight o'clock in the morning at the airport by six or, or I'm sorry, 10. But but, you know, early. So on Friday, we went sightseeing. Yes, but we also went on a mission of packaging hunting. <laughs> so we were talking and then, you know, then we, we so we went on online to see what what, what are the dimensions of a standard folding chair. Cause I didn't have the folding chair in front of me. I didn't know what kind of his folding chair it was. I assuming as a normal size folding chair, right? So if I have to get a box, I need the dimensions of a folding chair. So we go online and we see the dimensions of an average folding chair, but we made a big mistake initially. And thankfully we thought of this later, but when we were first going to these places and asking around, we were giving the measurements of the folding chair when it is folded out, when you sit in it. Well, whether you realize it or not, and when I tell you this, it will make sense, but at the time, I, it didn't occur to me. When you fold a folding chair, it gets longer, right? The way it folds, that, that, that top you know, that, that sits right on your, the, 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 in the middle of your back, when you fold it, the seat goes down and that goes up and it gains about 10 inches on average chair. So if the chair is like 30 inches, it's going to be 40 inches if you're going to ship it because you're going to fold the chair, right? So initially we were going to these places telling them the wrong size of a box that we needed. And so they were saying, well, we don't have a box that size. So now we're like, well, we can't get a box. Well, maybe we can bubble wrap it. Well, FedEx says we can't ship it unless it's in a box. We don't ship anything in bubble wrap. So then we're thinking, well, we have to get a box. Well, let's get a, how do we find a box that is the size of a folding chair? Well, maybe if we buy a cheap folding chair, we'll have a box. We'll just have to buy the chair and not use it not take it right just leave it in the hotel room or somewhere but at least we'll have the box like my wife came up with it i thought that was a great idea but i was also a little skeptical i said you know what i bet you if we go to these stores the the folding chairs will be loose they won't be in a box so we went to a bed bath and beyond and sure enough they had cheap chair for like 20 bucks so it's like okay online they they showed that they had these cheap chairs like okay you know it's going to cost money to buy a box too so that's the same thing right we just won't take the chair but at least we have we, we know we have a box that fits a folding chair correct yeah wouldn't you know it we get there they have them and those don't come in boxes everything else in bed bath and beyond every piece of furniture in that store had a box except the folding chairs that we wanted to buy so now we were feeling thwarted again. So now I said, well, let's go back to the Box Brothers. <laughs> That's the name of the company. The Box Brothers on Wilshire in Santa Monica and see if we can somehow devise this. Because then I'm thinking, well, can we, can, 
you know, can can they pick it up and then get it to their place? You know, we leave it at the hotels, you know, Monday morning and they, they, this box place comes and picks it up and then builds a box. Cause I can't build a box. I don't have scissors. I don't have all this. You know, I don't have all the, you know, this is all happening. It's going to happen Sunday night. We're leaving early. We have to pack, you know, we're going to get back from the concert late too. By the time we get out of the, 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 the traffic and everything, my gosh, it was, we didn't get back to the hotel by one o'clock. So finally, uh, we now that at least we had the right dimensions, we, we look online. I said, well, maybe we can just ship it on the plane with us, right? Because it was going to cost like $200 to ship this thing FedEx. I said, well, people, they have golf clubs and other big size, oversized things on planes. So we'll just check that. If it's oversized, they might charge us, but they they won't, it probably won't be as much as shipping it FedEx or UPS, and at least we'll have it with us. It'll be on our plane as opposed to waiting five days. Well, now that we had the correct dimensions, that box place that we initially said they didn't have a box to fit the chair, when we had the correct dimensions, they did have one that would fit it. So we learned from our mistake, and suddenly this would be getting real now. So we bought the box. We bought about 40 feet of bubble wrap to wrap the two chairs and some, you know, tape. We brought the box back to our hotel room. We brought all this stuff back. After we went to the concert, we, we, wrapped, the, the, we wrapped the chairs in bubble wrap. We, put them, we, put, we had to put the box together, tape the box together, put the box in bubble wrap, uh, both chairs. The remaining bubble wrap we were able to uh, use as padding because the, the 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 chairs didn't completely fit, but at least this way they weren't moving around. To make it a little tighter, I took a few of the towels, our dirty towels from the hotel, and packed that in there too. And at least we, in theory, were ready to pack it. But that was a that was a day and a half project. So I'm glad I had Friday off to devise that and go and seek all these possible solutions out. Many of them didn't work. Saturday, we figured out what we were going to do. We bought the box on Saturday, and we just waited and, and kept our fingers crossed. Saturday, I felt, was the best Elton show of them all, of the three. The band was was right on. Elton was was playing uh, just some of the best I've seen him play. He was adding little flourishes, uh, solos, and you could just see that they were right in the zone. And uh, and it was a it was a, it was just a, a almost a perfect show. And it was even more perfect because if you listen, you know that Elton has dedicated some songs to me and 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 has given me shout outs from the crowd during concerts because i have my my sign up that says how many shows i've been to and of course i had my signs up there for my 209th 210th and 211th shows and for the saturday show the second one um he saw me and saw my sign and said well jim toronto's here i don't know how many he's been to so i got a shout out at dodger stadium which i could not have asked for anything more on this tour, I've gotten songs and shout-outs at Madison Square Garden, 
United Center here in Chicago, in Detroit for my 200th show, in Watford, England, in Lincoln, Nebraska, and now at Dodger Stadium. So it's always it's always a thrill. It's always a shock and a surprise and a great thrill, and it's so generous of him to say that and acknowledge me. And, uh, and of course, I was right there in the front, made my way up to the front, always do. And uh, I just had a, the, the best time, and I, and I really thought that show was, uh, was fantastic. Uh, it hit on all cylinders. The crowd was into it. It was a much better crowd. They were into it. Uh, the band was feeding off that energy, extended versions of several songs. You just really feel it was a... It was a kick-ass Elton John concert from from the first minute into the end, and so um, I was very happy about that. Uh, also, while we were there, we went to the Grammy Museum. That's in downtown L.A. I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan, and they have this special Bruce Springsteen exhibit uh, that gives a nice overview of his career with a lot of artifacts, including his famous guitar that he plays and a lot of his uh, his stage wear and uh, posters and drum kits and things like that it's a very it's if you like music i would i would i would suggest you go to the grammy museum but i went there specifically for the bruce springsteen exhibit and it was worth it it was very cool also at the saturday show was nice billy jean king one of elton john's uh best friends the, the tennis great whom he wrote philadelphia freedom about well bernie Taupin did obviously but elton asked him could you write a song with the title philadelphia freedom in it she showed up. She's a part owner. She's a, she's, I don't know how much of a part, but she owns a piece of the L.A. Dodgers. And she came out during a, the, the middle of the concert um, to say some nice words about Elton and then introduce the owner of the Dodgers who had a big check with him, one of those big giant cardboard checks. And uh, the Dodgers donated a million dollars to the Elton John AIDS Foundation. Elton had no idea. You could see he was genuinely touched genuinely moved genuinely surprised and billy jean king was was a nice little throwback because she was on stage with elton singing backup i don't know if her microphone was on but she was on stage at the original shows in 1975 and though she wasn't up there singing this time um she was on stage with elton so that was a nice kind of throwback and callback to that historical aspect too. So that Saturday show really had some nice um, moments. Billie Jean King, for me, the shout out, and just the performance was was top notch. So I'd have to say, even though there was more emotion at the final show on Sunday, as a pure rock and roll show where you had the, the performers and the audience just you know, in 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 tune with each other, it was Saturday show, and so I will always remember that show. Not only for my shout out, because I but I really thought it was um, it was uh, it was an excellent show, and which was nice too. In addition to banners around the, uh, the Dodger Stadium with pictures of Elton with wearing that famous uh, sequin Dodger uniform that he wore, and you could see pictures of that on the internet everywhere. Um, they actually had that costume 
on display in the concourse. So people were taking pictures of that. And what was a very cool throwback and, once again, homage to those shows, there's no way Elton can fit into that costume anymore. Uh, That was 50 years ago, and uh, he was very thin at that time. Uh, Very few of us can fit into the clothes we wore 50 years ago, right? But... uh, (laughs) But what they did do, and he wore it every night, and he wore it on the first night as well, and when he walked out initially, it was very cool. He had he comes out, he always has a, for the, for the encore, he wears a robe, a Gucci robe. Gucci designs all of his costumes for this tour. And he comes out in different Gucci robes and takes the robe off, and there's a whole tie-in with that. He's got a track suit on, and as he goes up on, an, on a little elevated stair, when he leaves the stage for the last time, he waves goodbye. But so this time, he had a sequined Dodgers robe. So it had the Dodger logo on the back, EJ on the front with silver sequins and the blue robe tie and, and collar, and he had a sequined Dodger hat just like he wore initially with the bob mackey outfit from 75 so it was it was a nice tribute uh to to the 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 dodger uniform that he had but you could actually see the real one uh in a display case in the concourse so that was nice too but and that was really it was sparkly it was it was a perfect it was perfect elton uh to wear that and it was a nice little tie in him wearing the dodger uh hat and and robe uh, for all three concerts. Now, I should say that um, all three concerts were filmed. They had 30 cameras. They had a helicopter and two drones. There were cameras everywhere documenting this. It was The, the final show on the 20th was streamed live on Disney+. Plus. I'm sure there's going to be a film of the concert itself. Again, that's going to be available as a DVD or something else, in addition to it being streamed. And uh, and then it's, there's going to be a huge documentary about Elton's career that's going to come out next year, and it's going to be certainly sprinkled with with footage from from this concert because of its historical significance, being the last LA, the last U.S. Um, show of this tour, as well as playing Dodger Stadium again. Uh, he has played Dodger Stadium since he played a show there. A couple of shows there with Eric Clapton in the in the early '90s. So it's not like he hasn't. It's not that he hasn't played there in 50 years, but there's just a significance of him playing there. Um, so uh, that was cool too. At least there was some of that old Elton glitz there, and uh, you know, and flamboyance with the uh, with the robe that that looked like uh, was a you know was a Dodgers reminiscent of the Dodgers uniform, but a robe. Uh, but all sequined and sparkly and uh, and everything like that. So also very, very cool. Then was the final show. And as I said, we had this this VIP experience. And so that, before the show started, that was fun. And that was exciting. And I got pictures looking out and into into the bowl of the stadium, just like Elton did. There's some famous photos by the photographer Terry O'Neill. Uh, of 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 standing behind Elton during those concerts and in, in at uh, at Dodger Stadium wearing the the baseball outfit and just looking out in the crowd you see his back and then you see the enormity of the crowd and 
and I kind of tried to mimic that picture. It was very cool. So that was fun. Got up to the front of the stage there as well and uh, just had a ball. And it was surprising. Um, well, first of all, I should mention that there were some special guests. This show was streamed live. And you could watch it now if you want on Disney Plus. If you have Disney Plus, it's up there. Um, and if you if you look close, you'll see me in the front. I have this kind of Dodgers jacket on and white glasses every so often. So I'm right towards the front. You could see me a few times. I'm not. There's no close ups or anything. At least I I haven't watched the whole thing yet. But I don't think there are because nobody said they saw me per se. But I knew where I was, so I was able to, to spot myself. But. Um, but they had special guests. They had uh, Brandy Carlisle. She sang Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, which is a very nice version, kind of singing the duet part that George Michael made famous when Elton and George Michael had a number one version of that um, in, the, uh, in the early 90s. And, uh, and Dua Lipa came out to sing Cold Heart, which is the number one song around the world last year and, and early this year. And uh, Kiki D came out to sing Don't Go Breaking My Heart, which is the number one song in 1976. And it was great to see her and Elton together. She was kind of his protege in the 70s, and she had some a few hits. I've Got the Music in Me, of course, is her biggest hit. But Don't Go Breaking My Heart with Elton was a number one song all around the world. And he rarely sings that song. It's a very, it's a very favorite, it's a favorite song at karaoke bars, but Elton doesn't really sing it because it's a duet. But it was great to see Kiki there. And, uh, you know, she's about the same age as Elton, but she looked great. And just to see the two of them together again. Now, contrary to what Elton says, if you watch this, he doesn't know his own history sometime. Um, <laughs> she was not at the original shows in 1975 and did not sing that song with him at Dodger Stadium in 1975. So just so you know, that is not correct. Because the song didn't come out until 1976. So she couldn't have sang it with him there. And she was not at those concerts. But I'm glad she was there because I think she de- she deserved one last chance to sing with Elton and one last bow with him in front of a huge crowd. And, and the, the diehard fans truly appreciated seeing those two together. And uh, I don't know how much they rehearsed the song. The song was all right, uh, the way they performed it. But uh, just seeing the both of them together was was, for me, worth it and uh i didn't tear up yet at that point but i did get some tingles when kiki came out and they sang that together and then toward the end of the show elton brought his family out and he brought his boys he said well this is why i am retiring and he brought his husband david furnish out and their two sons zachary and uh and elijah and they waved and they all hugged their dad and uh, they're old enough now they're like 11 and 9 uh, zachary will be 12 in um in december on christmas in fact um so thankfully they have you know elton has remained popular and working and they are old enough now that they will have memories of their father being elton john you know they will they will they have been on stage enough now and they have been with him and they're they're making more public appearances now with him and i'm glad that they are because they will have memories. I mean, as I said, Elton is 75. There's no guarantees. He's in okay health, but you never know. But I'm just glad that these kids will grow up with real memories of not only their father, but of 
their father as Elton John, getting the adoration from you know tens of thousands of people uh, in in huge stadiums. It's got to be a thrill to see that, and the kids have to be very proud of their father. And I'm glad having having kids at such an a, a, an advanced age, there was a risk that they may never have known him. But thankfully, uh, he has stayed in good health and he remains in good health and he's his career is still is more healthier than ever and as they've grown now they have been able to see just who their father is and 15 years from now uh you know they will have those memories of being a part of that and seeing exactly who their dad was and how important he was and what a legend he was so that's that's uh, that's a nice thing and for me, what was the where I did tear up? It wasn't about any song necessarily, and it wasn't about any moment in the concert because I was so into the concert. I didn't really the, the the enormity of the finality of it didn't hit me. And I do believe I will be seeing Elton John perform again. I really do. I don't believe it's the last time I'll see him. He I, he won't be touring, but I believe I will be seeing him perform again in another couple of years so i i didn't i didn't get hit with that rush of emotion that i thought i would until he brought out right toward the end of the show he brought out his lyricist bernie Taupin, who is responsible for almost every song that he played during the concert and really for his career. And he's and Elton throughout his career has constantly said, without Bernie Taupin, there would have been no Elton John. When Elton was inducted into Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he gave Bernie his award. So he has always been very generous. If you look at, at all the, uh, the early Elton John albums, Bernie is always prominently featured because he, Elton felt he was that important to the music. Even though it's an Elton John album, Bernie was his picture was there. He's always very prominently featured in those first five albums of of their career, the first five years worth of albums in their in their career, almost nine or ten albums. Uh, and that's a tribute to Elton realizing the importance of Bernie Taupin. And when when Bernie came out, they hugged, and and they stood arm in arm and waved to the crowd. And I did tear up and I did choke up. That to me is the essence of this music that has played such an important part of my life and going to all these concerts. It was the collaboration of those two guys. And here we are, uh, and they are still around. And hopefully uh, Bernie gave Elton some new lyrics a couple of years ago, so hopefully there will be even a new uh, album. They just won an Oscar a couple of years ago for the, the song they wrote for Rocket Man. So to see those two still together, at this point, 50-some years since 1967, uh, is, is to me, that's what was the most emotional. It wasn't the, the end of the concerts. It was seeing those two guys, you know, arm in arm and realizing the journey that they'd been on. And I was a little disappointed. Bernie Taupin didn't really say anything about Elton. In fact, he he just said, "Isn't this a great band?" And then he walked off. I mean, here's a guy that wrote all these great songs, and that's the best he could come up with. 
So that was a little disappointing because he doesn't come out very often. And there was an opportunity for him to really show his appreciation to the fans and his appreciation to Elton and really make a nice little moment. And I think he he missed it. And it's sad because uh, as a fan, I would have loved to have heard what Bernie felt. And, 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 and I would love to have shared that moment. And there was nothing there. So that was disappointing. But see, the visual of those two together did make me tear up. If Bernie would have talked, who knows? I probably would have been a blathering idiot. Because uh, if I was, if I teared up and when I'm just seeing them, if there was actually this really special moment between them, where they were going back and saying about talking about each other, um, I might, I probably would have just been bawling my eyes out. But that was the emotional high point for me of seeing those two together. The the, the shows, as I said, were excellent. All three from top to bottom, they all were very. They all had their own personality. I felt from a from a pure concert standpoint, I felt that the second show was the best. From an emotional standpoint, from the special guests and from the historical context, certainly the final show had a lot more drama and and emotion in it. But as a pure rock and roll Elton John show, I thought the 19th uh, was one of the best shows I've seen him do. And as I said, we, we, we left, the concert ended, we got our chairs, we put them in the rent-a-car, we got back to our room by the time we got out of the horrible traffic jams in Dodger Stadium, we got back to our room about 1 o'clock, where we proceeded to wrap our two Elton John chairs in bubble wrap and put them in the box and seal them up. And the next day we got up early, just in, you know, earlier than we, you know, our plane didn't leave till 10, but we got to the airport around 6.30 in case there are going to be some problems with this box, but it was no problem at all. We checked it. They took it. It got to Chicago. It came in on the, on the, the same baggage claim that our bags came on. The box wasn't damaged. We went back, put it in the car. Drove home, no problems. There's something to be said, folks. I've said this before about planning ahead. If you plan ahead, there's less stress and less chaos. If I would have just took this chair and said, oh, I've got this chair and and, and gone to the hotel and said, could you ship this for me tomorrow? Or this morning they would have said, no, we can't. Well, now what do I do? I probably, I wouldn't have had the chair or I would have been disappointed. So I took a little time. I devised a plan. I planned ahead. And not only was the, the trip fun with the sights we saw, the restaurants we saw, the weather we had, these three great Elton John shows, historic shows, memorable shows. I got a shout out. But they also ended with this great memento of this chair, which I have no regrets because now I have it as opposed to saying, geez, I wish I would have thought ahead. No, I did think ahead. Life doesn't have to be that complicated sometimes. If you take the time ahead of time to plan. So I was I loved everything about the the, the the trip, 
But what I was most proud of is that we got that chair home. We did what we were supposed to do. You know I love lists. Same thing here. I, we, we, we took the time to plan ahead. And we got the chair, and it's sitting in my house right now. So not only did we have a great time from top to bottom, but we also took the stress out of a complicated, or could have been a complicated, messy situation, and it actually uh, was smooth as silk. No stress at all. Got on the plane, fell asleep. We only had week. By the time we got done packing the chair and everything, it was two thirty. We got up at four thirty to get to the airport. We had two hours of sleep. When I got on the plane, I fell asleep as the people were still boarding. <laughs> I didn't even know we took off. I slept for about three hours out of the four-hour flight, so it was a quick flight home, and. Uh, Everything worked out well. So I just have to say, Elton and your and his band, you certainly lived up to the anticipation. You certainly lived up to the hype. I was so glad I went to those three shows. Each night I was there, that was the exact place I wanted to be on that day. And it's not very often in your life you can actually say, I'm in the exact place I want to be. But for those three nights on November 17th, 19th, and 20th, I was exactly where I wanted to be. And I had a memorable and magical time once again seeing my 209th, 210th, and 211th Elton John show. Will they be my last? I don't know. I'll let you know in a couple of months. Thanks, Elton. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast, we are there. Don't forget, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 340. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. Okay, now wave, wave, point, point, point to Elton. Now wave, wave, hello, hi.